It's just past 7 o'clock, and once you hear that music, I start getting excited. You should, too. It's time for Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo, and we're going to have a great show tonight. Ira's back in studio. Just flew in, and boy, are your arms tired. And you must be physically tired. Not fly. I know, I know. Drove. <laughs> well, that ruins the saying. Though. No, but I just drove. I, I the, 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 the trip. We're just talking about that. You were tired from me talking to you about what I did. <laughs> Give us a recap of what's happened the last 10 days, Ira. It's, it tops anything. I'm going to say it, it tops. Like, you know, people want to say top this. When Bryce Harper hit that home run, you know, he said, like, mm-hmm. top this. Top, I'll say this. So Thursday, Ravens, Buccaneers. That was an amazing game in Tampa. Ra- mm-hmm. The Buccaneers lose that game. A thrilling game, whatever. But um, then I go up Saturday, Penn State, Ohio State. Sunday, Steelers, Eagles. Then Monday, I went down to the to the Citizens Bank for the baseball game, but then we had to drive back because of the rain out. So it was our Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday for three World Series games in Philadelphia. Wednesday was super expensive because everyone thought that that's when the Phillies mm-hmm. they were going to win the World Series up 2-1. And then, then I'm deciding Saturday, like what to do on Saturday, but I'm like, it is easier for me just to drive. So I drove down, from the rental car, drove down from Philadelphia down to Athens, which I've never been, I've been there 20 years ago, I don't even remember it though, but I, to Athens for the game against uh, Georgia versus Tennessee. One versus two, yeah. One versus two, awesome atmosphere, just soaked it all in, and then topped it off. Everyone's saying, well, what if there's a game seven in the World Series? Well, there wasn't, and there was a game seven, but then I go to Tampa versus the Rams, the two Super Bowl defending, two last two Super Bowl champions down in Tampa. You know, the game for most of the game wasn't that great a game. A little but, bit of a slog early. But what a finish. What yeah. a finish. We got a Tom Brady record-breaking drive. Everyone's talking about it. So there it is. Top that. Two NFL or three NFL games, two college football games of the two top teams, and three World Series games. Can't. It's, I'm never going to top that. I, I can't believe some of your friends are giving you a hard time for not going to Houston for game six. I definitely would have went to Georgia. That was the game to be at. I thought so, too. And then other people said you should have gone to Alabama, LSU, but it, it didn't fit in. It was LSU. Way out of the way. Way out of the way. And at that point, I felt this was... one versus two. Right. And they were a 15-point favorite. And and I wanted to see Georgia play. Now, I can say, I'm one of the only people, I think, alive. Or a lot. It has to be alive. (laughs) But I'm saying (laughs) the only person in America or in the world that saw... Alabama, so Georgia play in person, saw Ohio State, saw the Penn State-Ohio State game, and the Penn State-Michigan game. Penn State-Ohio State at Penn State, and Penn State-Michigan at Michigan. So I've seen Michigan play in person, Georgia play in person, and Ohio State play in person. Ira got some great picks of this. You can always follow along with Ira's adventures at Ira on amazing, Sports across social amazing. media. Some of my best pictures ever I, and, uh, of the World Series. I got some neat angles. We're going to go through talk about how I got these pictures and where they were, but I, I love where I, my seats for the World Series were absolutely some of the best scalping I've ever done in my life. Like the just seats were weird, you know, and just it just worked out perfectly. And then I got if you want to go online, I have the whole video of Tom Brady's the touchdown, the drive, all those things in there. So go from there. Uh, Seven fifteen, we're going to be joined by Adam Sherman. He's the host of the Sports Ethos Philadelphia 76ers podcast. Tell us about Adam. Adam is has a great podcast in Philadelphia. But he is focusing on the, the 76ers, but he is the biggest Philly sports fan. I met him when I was out in Philadelphia, and he's like said, you know, I said I'll put you on, talk about it. You know, he as someone here's someone who's a young, uh, he's I think 18, 19 years old, but it has a good following. But the fact is, how would it be great to be 18 years old in Philadelphia and have your team play in the World Series and your football, your baseball team, and your football team be eight and zero, be you know favorite to win the Super Bowl? So just an amazing and he loves the Sixers and who knows what's gonna happen with them so <laughs> no truly the, the time to be a Philadelphia fan <laughs> even if they didn't uh, win the World Series so let's talk about the World Series Ira this was something like you said you're going to game three now and nobody really put you know had any uh, thought that 
the Philadelphia could win this series. And after a great performance, they're up two to one. So tell us about that one. Well, I think the issue was have to be Monday night and how the Major League Baseball handled it. I, it everyone knew it was going to be pouring down rain. I was there. It was raining then. And I couldn't believe you looked in the forecast and it says 100 percent. And when it goes like half of an inch of rain expected, you know, at that aspect, we thought I, I, I don't know why they waited so long to now. Clearly, you don't want to start the game and then have it rain and then no. miss your pitches. That would be stupid. But why did they not cancel in the middle of the day? And so what I did was I drove down there. Like I was with some friends, we drove down to the stadium, but we didn't go in the parking lots. People who drove in the parking lots about this had to stay in the parking lots. They wouldn't let them out. Why? So they, they were locking in the middle because cars were coming in, so they didn't let the people out of the parking lots, and they were stuck in there. So they're stuck in the parking lots. It's pouring down rain. But what I did, the smart thing was, is I had to hedge. So the part, the price of the tickets started to just plummet because no one wants to sit in the rain, whatever. And I'm like, but I, if they do play the game, I want to be undercover. But if they don't, I looked on the map. I'm trying to figure out where the covers are down on the first base side behind the dugout underneath this overhang, which I thought it was. I didn't know at the time. I got a ticket there. It wasn't and for very cheap, considering what the World Series prices were and all those things like that. And it ended up they didn't play the game, but then it was still a great ticket for the next day because that ticket was I could have sold it for four times what I bought it. At. I believe it. So I was like, but I didn't want to because I really liked the ticket too. So I'm like, <laughs> okay, I just want to send one of power someone back and say I got this great ticket for the game. But I'll tell you this: so the Citizens Bank Ballpark is they it's a it's a weird ballpark there's so many nooks and crannies and they try to it's look at this old school modern like pnc park in pittsburgh it's a it's like a, a new ballpark that tries to make itself look old mm -hmm. and you go in and there's these nice areas though in when you walk through the park they have like a whole fire pits and bars outside like you can really hang out there before hang out afterwards i did like the fact they let people in like a couple hours before the game and didn't wait like some of these other places who actually for one day got to see batting practice for both teams and got good pictures of going that um, um, so it was. It, I just like the park, and also when you sit there, it's like you actually can see uh, the corners. It was just a weird. I like. I like the whole aspect of the park. There were very few Astro fans there, and I didn't see. It they didn't. Get, you couldn't find one. On I, I saw. I think a couple <laughs> of them. But I'm telling you what. These Philly, Philly fans. They something happened that Tuesday night because I can. I've been to baseball games. I've been to Yankee games in the World Series, and they're allowed two strikes. They stand up. But that Tuesday night game, from the moment the first pitch to the end, they are screaming. They are screaming. It was not, there was no dead silence. I, I'm like, how are they continuing? Like, are they pumping in crowd noise? But people around me were standing the whole time and they're waving the towels. The exercise, the exercise, they could eat so much they want because they were just waving those towels. I have marks all over me from hitting, from everybody. <laughs> the woman in front of me jumped back like four times every time I came to my picture. She would jump back into me. Not, I got knocked over like three times. No one sat. Zero people sat. Like everyone was standing. The place was nuts. It was so loud. I couldn't believe how loud it was. And I have never, it was the loud, by far, there's nothing in comparison to the loudest baseball game I've ever been to. And I can't imagine it could any be louder. And it was just, I'm like, when are they going to get tired? I mean, they're up seven nothing and the fans are still screaming and no one left like that's unbelievable i'm like you guys are amazing like i'm ready to give everybody an award like but first of all the towels drive me nuts because i can't get the pictures because the towels are my face and i'm trying to watch the game like can they stop the towels like in the middle of the action but no people just wait it seemed like for three hours they're waving a towel like they probably get towel elbow or whatever for waving a towel so much uh, you you had a great comparison to me off air you said it was like when you go to belmont for a triple crown and that's only two minutes but you said it's as raucous as that in that stadium for three hours. For two minutes, they run the race and everyone's screaming for those two minutes. I couldn't believe this. Like, I, not to justify an American Pharaoh triple crown, not just the normal race. I couldn't believe. Like, I'm like, 
are these people? And even in between innings, they were loud. But it was not just they were quiet for the two outs. You know, like how people stand up for the two outs. They were loud from the beginning. And I just thought, and also they started the game out. You had uh, Michael Schmidt, uh, Julius Irving, Brandon Graham, Bernie Pry, like all the royalty. And what they did, this just reminds me of Cleveland a little bit. They didn't have the celebrities, like the stars. Like you go to LA, all the celebrities and everyone's there. And there's Larry David and all those, and Jerry Seinfeld's at mm-hmm. Dunbar's place. They had Philly sports people. I mean, all all the Sixers, cool. Tyrone Maxey was there, um, Harden was there. You know, like you had those type of players, but you had old old school Phillies. You had Jimmy Rollins, everybody from the 2000 and what, the 18, the yeah. 18 was there. That Chase Utley, the Jimmy Rollins, they were there. It's just that aspect of it. Ryan Howard, I love the fact that you could just felt like you were in Philly royalty. Like if you were a good player in Philadelphia, in any sport, you're going to be at that game and they're going to show you on the board and everyone is going to go even louder when they show you on the board. Absolutely uh, crazy scenes. So what actually happened in this game because like we said it got out of hand well the top of the first I think the first the first pitch over Altuve hit the ball and Castellano who is the worst fielding right fielder in, in baseball, baseball year, but yeah. who made the great great play in the in game two or game one of, of, the, uh, of the, the game one down in Houston and then he makes another amazing diving play like he said he goes I, Castellano made a comment he goes it's hard for me to pay attention during these games they go on forever I'm bored I'm not really focused like you're getting paid millions yeah. of dollars to play defense but he goes in the playoffs. Like I have to stay. You know, it keeps fans keep me into the game. Like okay, that's great to hear, Nick. That uh, thank you. But he made the catch on Altuve, and then in the bottom of the first, Schwarber walks, Hoskins and Romuto strike out, which is like exactly what they've been doing the whole series. And then Bryce Harper hits that home run. And that is the ignite. That was if there was gas, if there was a whole fire, there's gas, you know, if there was fire and someone just put gasoline on when Bryce Harper hit that, it was like, I'm like, you got to pitch around to Bryce Harper. You yeah. can't let him kill you. He hits it. Lance McCullers through that boom home run. And then he screamed. Yeah, he screamed. This is my house. This is my house. He walked that to that trip around the bases. I think it was like an hour. Like he was just, <laughs> he was just stopping, celebrating. You think he won, you know, like the, the, the final pitch, like a Mazeroski one. And then uh, it was just, that made it two nothing. Thing. And then, uh, and then, top of the second, uh, the uh, the Astros had two men on, and like, okay, now let's get it back. And then McCormick strikes out, so that sort of hurt them. And then you go to the bottom of the second, and that's where Harper whispers to Alex Bone, you know, something, call him over. You know, like he was in the middle of the back, calls him over, says, I think they said Lance McCullers is dipping his pitches because I think he threw 500 pitchers this year off speed and didn't throw a home run ball, but he threw four mm-hmm. in that one game, throwing four out of like you know 20 pitches or some crazy number like that. Because Bone hit, Bone hit a home run, and then Marsh hits a home run. So it's four home runs and nine batters, which is just crazy. And then uh, McCullers was still pitching, and then Schwar- finally, bottom of the fish, Schwarber hit a 434 you know, foot home run, and then Hoskins had a home run to make it 7 nothing. McCullers became the first pitcher in World Series history to give five home runs. I mean, Houston had five hits in the game. Philadelphia had seven, but they had five home runs. So they <laughs> Big difference. 7 nothing. I mean, Houston left eight men on base. They were 0-3 with men in scoring position. But really, it, how about this? The uh, Phillies only left two men on base the entire game because they just hit the home runs. It was a weird game, but it was almost a celebration in the Astros. And then that's where the Philly fans are like, we believe. Like, now we are a team of destiny. Like, we took the one game in Houston. We're up 2-1 now. We're finishing it out here. We're going to win two more games. It's over. Celebration. Everything. To the point where on Wednesday night going to that game, I said, 
I'm not going Thursday because I saw how much I had to pay for Wednesday. I sat to sit in the third level. I'm like, if they win Wednesday, the whole world's going to come out there mm-hmm. for that game at 3-1. They're, they're going to think there's going to be this big party. The tickets are going to be Super Bowl level ticket. <laughs> so I think that's where the feeling in Philadelphia was after that. We do have um, Adam Sherman on the line. Would you want to go to him now or you yeah. want to wrap these games up? Um, let's go to Adam now. Okay, let's bring in uh, Adam Sherman. He's the host of the Sports Ethos Philadelphia 76ers podcast. Adam, thank you so much for joining us here on Iron Sports. Happy to be here. So, Adam, I mean, this must have been a really, you know, busy time on Saturday. It must be disappointing. I mean, you work rooted for this team all year long. They lose in the championship. We're talking about the Philadelphia Union. I mean, no, sorry, I meant the Philadelphia Phillies. <laughs> <laughs> but so what's your feeling? It must be great. You're 18 years old. You're living in Philadelphia. You have your own great podcast out there. You're rooted for the Phillies They're in the World Series. And the Eagles are, are the best team in football. What, what, how does it feel to be a, uh, a Philly sports fan right now? Yeah, you know, that union loss was just absolutely brutal. It's <laughs> the work. But, you know, um, Philly sports is just in an absolutely amazing spot right now. I mean, I was at Game 3 of that World Series, and I, I mean, I thought they were going to win it all. But, you know, looking back, it's a great run. You know, you, at the end of the day, you're playing with house money when you get to the World Series. And, of course, it's going to be upsetting when you when you lose. But the Astros are a great team. And just the fact that they were able to, you know, make it there was absolutely incredible. And, I mean, you look around, like, the Eagles undefeated. Like, no one saw this coming. Sure, like, Sirianni, like, Hurts, like, the team looked fine coming into the season. thought they had a chance to win the NFC East, but uh, definitely would not have predicted to go 8-0 to start the year. So I went to the Eagles game last week, and everyone, I'm wearing Steeler jersey, and everyone's warning me. They're like, they're going to beat you up. They're going to say bad things. They're, well, you, it's not safe. And the Eagle fans were like, city of brotherly love. They're like, we love you. You're great. You're this. Is, it, is this mood? Is this nasty? You know, They showed Santa Claus on the screen, and people were, were cheering for Santa Claus. What's happening? Do people in Philadelphia now, is it really now the city of brotherly love? Are you guys that happy? Um, I mean, I think it's a different story when the Cowboys come to town, but, you know, I don't know how threatening the Steelers are right now. <laughs> so, um, you know, you come with the Steelers jersey, the city's going to be pretty welcoming. But um, I was just at the uh, Sixers-Knicks game, and uh, they didn't get exactly the same reception there. So, I mean, I think when, when Philly sports teams are doing well, the fans seem to be just a little bit nicer for some reason. And but, uh, yeah, I mean... And I just want, what about Bryce Harper? I mean, here's someone who comes in, he signs the big money contract, and we've seen this happen everywhere. It seems like sometimes these big time free agents, they come into cities, it doesn't work. You know, he's been, you know, he won his MVP here, but there's still the injuries and everything. But it just seems like this playoff run and the big home runs he hit, he's just falling out. He's like the perfect superstar for the city. You know, I'm 18 years old. I haven't seen that many players come through Philadelphia, but Bryce Harper just brings a different energy than anyone else who has ever been here. I mean, just the name value and then living up to expectations, which was nearly impossible. You know, coming to Philadelphia as a player of that caliber, it's, it's nearly impossible to really live up to what they're expecting. But after that home run to send him to the World Series, you know, hit another in World Series, just big play after big play, gets the city behind him. He fully embraces the city, and it's just been absolutely amazing to have, you know, an MVP here. We have Joel Embiid, who's a great player, but, you know, the level of accomplishment of Bryce Harper has just been something else. And, you know, the one thing is you talk about you're 18 years old. It seems like in Philly, there's a lot. The young fans now are following baseball. I mean, this team has captured everybody, you know, from the 100-year-old fans that have been going to games when it was in Connie Mack Stadium or whatever. And to, to you, I think that's what's so cool as someone who loves baseball like I do. It's great to see that it captured, you know, the, the whole city was behind the Phillies. Yeah, I've definitely seen some friends who have never watched a Phillies game get in a really excited. So I think anytime you have anything like that going on in Philly, uh, 
people are going to get involved no matter what it is. I mean, if the Phillies weren't in the World Series, I think you would have seen a little bit more uh, union support. But <laughs> either way, I mean, you know, what's there not to be excited about? At the end of the day, Philly sports are doing good. City's excited. And I know you have. We did talk about the Sixers. But, uh, again, I mean, it's hard to talk about you know, the NBA in terms of the, the playoffs that it seems like are nine months away. Like, I think baseball season is going to start before the, again, before the, <laughs> the NBA playoffs start. But how do we follow you on for your Sixers podcast? Uh, you can find it on Spotify, any streaming services. Also, uh, follow the uh, Sports Ethos Sixers Twitter page. Uh, you can find it anywhere, but Sixers are a little bit of a sensitive topic right now. <laughs> well, hopefully Embiid. Well, Embiid, maybe by January 1st, he might start playing some games. So that's sort of, he's back to, he's back to his usual 40, 50 game season schedule. But uh, Adam, thank you so much for coming to Ira Sports. I really appreciate it. Of course, Ira. Thank you for having me. Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel, Mike Balsamo here at 721. Back to the World Series. So game four, like you said, that city must have been riding so high walking into that game uh, only to be let down pretty badly. Well, how about a no-hitter? I mean, that yeah. is amazing. I mean, talk about it. You know, what's amazing is that in 1956, Don Larson pitched a perfect game for the Yankees, the most famous game ever pitched. Uh, in 2010, Roy Halladay in the playoffs pitched a perfect uh, no-hitter in the division round. I remember where I was. I was wanted to, I was at a, an event, and I was, like, trying to leave the event, and I went somewhere. <laughs> then I had it on the TV. I was driving me crazy. To this day, I just regret not seeing that. Um, but it was a weird no-hitter. It was a combined no-hitter. There were three. There was uh, he, Javier left after the sixth inning, and then uh, Abreu and uh, and. and and, and pitched it, uh, Presley and wait, I'm trying to think of the third one. Stanek, I think, might have been the other one. Um, pitched it, finished up, uh, finished it, finished up with the, with the with the final three outs of the game. Uh, but you know, I think that was what, in terms of that's what it was like. You know, Wawa had a campaign where every for every Philly said it's a for it's a sandwich restaurant or it's more of like a fast whatever convenience store. They said we're going to sell a hoagie every time you get it, the Phillies get a hit. Eat, take a bite out of the hoagie. Well, no one got a bite out of the whole thing. <laughs> That's a failed promotion. <laughs> but I mean, I think it wasn't the ask the, the the idea that it was not um, it was Abreu Montero and Presley. So Presley okay. Ryan Presley came in. The idea that you had you know it wasn't the Javier he left after ninety four pitches. You know he wasn't going to stay in and push it. Then no one ever. I didn't hear a lot. I mean, people are used to everyone walking away from no hitters anyway. So, and he did this against the Yankees. He pitched to seven, seven, six innings against the Yankees and they had a seven, eight, nine. So the same thing happened earlier in the year. There's only been four no hitters pitched this year and he's pitched two of them in baseball. Pretty impressive stuff. Moving on to game five, it was a different story now because although they didn't win this game, they were hitting better, and you saw themselves put themselves in, in position quite a few times. So what happened here? I just want to jump back to game four for oh, a second. Sure. It was that fifth inning. I mean, it was one... Schwarber had a hit. It was almost a foul ball in the third base. And a lot of Phillies fans, I have to mention it because I was brought up by everyone. They thought that it was a hit, you know, because it was, you don't review it because he hit it right down the first base line, past Goriel. It and, fair. And, but they said it was they said it was ruled mm -hmm. foul. But people were arguing that it was a foul or fair on that on that in that game. Mm -hmm. And then in the fifth inning, uh, with Nola pitching, I mean Nola pitched well, but he you know he did he had men on base whatever. But that's where um, McCormick got a single, Altuve a single, Pena a single, bases loaded. And that's what this you know harkens back to what happened last, two nights ago was because Alvarado they brought Alvarado to pitch to Alvarez and he was hit by pitch. 
And then Bregman doubles to make it 3-0. Tucker sacrifice, make it 4-0. Gurriel singles, make it 5-0. But the question is, if you bring Alvarado there against Alvarez and he hits him and then he gives up the double to Bregman, then why did you bring him in again in game six mm-hmm. and in, that, in that power position? So that's where the, the thing with Alvarado bringing him in. But that's what the Phillies have been doing throughout the entire playoffs is bringing him in. But it did not work in game four and did not work in game six at all, uh, for that. So, yeah, going back to game five that I jumped ahead on, <laughs> this is a— uh, Everyone was excited to see Justin Verlander, and he's facing Noah Syndergaard, who had been pitching out of the bullpen primarily for them. It was kind of like definitely they had the edge in the pitching matchup. Yeah, I mean, I was so excited for this game five. I was lucky because because after that no hitter, then the prices dropped in tickets. So I'm for the game four. I'm sitting up like the third level, but it was neat because I was over the net. So I got some great pictures because I the net wasn't blocking me. I got without the net. But for game four, I'm looking for my seats. My friends were sitting like behind the dugout, and then suddenly I see this ticket behind the dugout and home plate for like cheaper than like standing room. So I'm like, okay, I buy it immediately. I get it, and it's this weird seat that's sort of like between the diamond club area, the club area where the normal seats are. It's it's where the you, you face. It was like a perfect ticket, like 21 rows back, but no one was in front of me because it's like this weird triangle. So I. I had like a row of five people, so no one was getting, and I'm in the end, and I had this all, I had like a little room to myself, I had like bigger than a New York apartment of like my <laughs> little seat that I had. And when I stood up, even though the people were throwing their flags, they're you know waving everything, I was able to get some good pictures because I no one was blocking me and no one was really in front of me, so it was like really cool, cool seat. But yeah, I mean, this is Verlander who is going to win his third Cy Young of this year, but he's 0 6 in the World Series and eight starts with a six ERA, and they he goes against uh, uh, um, Noah Syndergaard and more like a bull. Pin game. He's supposed to only pitch like three innings, but this was a major game. You know, Verlander has to prove. You know, this is. You know, this is. This. You know, has everything on his resume except winning a World Series game. And he, he was 0 for 7, so it's not like he didn't have his chances before. <laughs> yes. so, yeah, what, what happened in this one? Because I, I thought that it was going to get out of hand, but but Philly kept it pretty competitive. Well, the first inning, Altuve doubled the ball, and then Marsh made an error, their, their, their outfielder, and it was like then it became a triple. And then I got this great picture of Pena coming up, the, the rookie uh, shortstop for the Astros, and hit this. I was right there on the line and got this great video of that. Uh, made it one nothing. And But then the bottom of the first, Schwarber comes up. And again, well, he is a master. You know what? You know, it's like people look surprised. He let the league at home runs. I mean, Judge and Schwarber. So it's no surprise that he had some runs. But wow, that was a rocket. Mm-hmm. Like he hits these home runs and it's like out before like one second. And then in the bottom of the second, base is loaded. Verlander was having trouble. Like bases loaded, but then Hoskins, who it seems like struck out like every single at bat. Like mm-hmm. some of these Phillies were striking out constantly. Verlander gets out of that. Bottom of the third, he walked Harper, Braun signaled, and then they got Stott flies out. So he had two men on, gets out of that inning. But at the top of the fourth, Pena comes up with a home run, makes it 2 1. And the bottom of fifth, Harper doubles, so, so he was on base, Castellano flies out with two outs. So they keep getting men on base, and Verlander keeps getting out, and then in the top of the sixth, Altuve singled, uh, Bregman was hit by pitch, but Tucker grounded out. So it's still this 2-1 thing, they take Verlander out of the game, and uh, uh, but the Phillies in the bottom of the sixth, they had men on first and second, but they were, you know didn't score then. In the top of the seventh, Goriel doubled, and then he went to third on wild pitch, and this could have been a key play. He was on third base, and there was no out, but they got him in a rundown, and Goriel then got hurt in that rundown, that crazy rundown, and then he was injured. He's out of the World mm-hmm. Series, so they lose their starting first baseman on this crazy rundown play. Not only do they have a bad, you know, two-one. Like, do you look to yourself for the if you're the Astros? Like, you got to you know get more runs. The the Phillies are going to come back, get more runs. You don't get a run on there, and then. Um, um, 
bottom of the seventh, Abreu was pitching. Uh, you know, they, they had two men on, but Harper popped up. You know, like you know, like there was their chance there. It was like Philly fans were frustrated. This was the game because they just kept getting men on base, men on base, and not scoring. And then top of the eighth, Altuve walked, Payne singled, and then Alvarez had a ground out to score. Altuve made it three one. And then, you know, they, they got that extra run to make it 3-1 because in the bottom of the eighth, um, they were able to get another run to make it 3-2. And then the ninth inning, though, to have Presley come up there and Harper was hit by a pitch, but then he got Costello to ground out uh, of the game. So that was like, you know, that was when you Presley to me is the underrated star. Of this is like every time he came in, you know, they brought oh, actually they brought Presley in in the eighth mm-hmm. inning with men on so that he had a five out save. I thought that was key to have Presley come in and save that game out. It, no, it totally was. And like you said, this was a tale of two games between game four and five because they had runners on, you know, constantly. It seemed like in this game just couldn't get him across the plate, something that they'd done so well in many of their other victories. Moving to game six, it's going to be uh, Javi Vasquez versus Zach Wheeler. And this was, you know, put up or shut up time for what's supposed to be the Phillies' ace. Well, they got Wheeler a couple extra games to rest, days to rest. So he was rested for this game for the Phillies. Vasquez, who pitched, you know, the argument could be that Vasquez could have been the MVP of the series because he pitched another good game. He had two wins. Um, so he comes in there with 0-0 through five innings. And I, I was, you know, I left the Georgia-Tennessee game. I didn't leave. The game's over. I caught, like, you know, the game. So I'm listening to the game. Went to a sports bar in Athens. So I caught, like, from third inning on. But uh but in the in the bottom of the sixth inning, Wheeler was still in. Maddenau was hit by a pitch. Altove got a fielder choice. Could have been a double play. Uh, Pena singled. So there's men on first and third. And Wheeler's at 70 pitches, and they bring Alvarado in. And uh, you know, Alvarado had only allowed three home runs to left hit, left hit in hitters in six seasons. So I mean, all day everyone said you don't bring Alvarado in to pitch to Alvarez. You don't bring him in, Jordan Alvarez. You don't bring him in. You don't bring him in. But he went and brought him in, and you know, with 450 foot home. Run like a total bomb makes that you know, and that's it. So it's 3 0. They had another run to make it 4 1. Uh, four, you know, 4 1. Oh, you know, I missed up Schwarber in the sixth inning hits that home run to take the one nothing lead, and then Alvarez uh hits that th- four three run home run. And then the, the Astros were able to just you know, seven eight and nine, their bullpen came up and pitched great and finished out the series. You know, celebration, no game seven, not forcing a game. You know, I think they would have been better prepared for a game seven too, but then the celebration and everything. So, I've got a trivia question for you. Someone now has hit a home run in all seven playoff rounds, meaning the AL and NL wild card, division series, championship series, and the World Series. Who's that player? It has to be someone who was traded and played in both leagues. Yeah. I don't know. Kyle Schwarber. Oh, my God. Did it with the Red Sox last year in, in every round, and then he got the World Series in this round. But I, granted, the wild card hasn't been around that long, but still a pretty cool stat to be able to say. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, that home run in Game 6, when Schwarber had that home run, you see it 0-0, Schwarber hits the home run, and it was hard. You know, I was in, everyone in Athens was live watching the baseball. I found like one bar that had the baseball game on. So I'm like, he hits that home run, and you're like, wow. I mean, that was like, but then to come back the next inning, and I just did this whole debate, but you know, this is how base was. I mean, everyone's going to make this whole thing about, you know, they pulled Wheeler, shouldn't have pulled Wheeler, all this. But I mean, again, this is what they do all the time. It's mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I don't. Th- I want so not be so surprised that they pulled him like that. But I mean, it's the pitchers that the Astros had. They have a much better bullpen. They can go to way more many many pitchers. They have like you know, five pitchers that they can bring in. Plus, they have better starting pitchers. It's amazing. You know, the Phils. We just talked to Adam. The Phils should be happy they got two wins out of them. Yeah, so they're playing should, over their heads. The whole, they were. Whole we were and I, but I think even with the Astros, if you look at their lineup, the seven, eight, and nine hitters, they weren't really getting much out of McCormick. You know, I guess the you know the point was that in the, you know, we didn't mention that in the game five. Uh, McCormick, uh, 
Harper was hit by a pit, you know, uh, oh yeah, McCormick hit in the, in the eight, ninth inning off Presley. Uh, and that ball could have been a double off the wall. McCormick catches it. It's funny, McCormick grew up he, from, in Millers. He went to grow up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, um, went to Millersville, and, which is crazy. He's not really a big baseball power. And he grew up a Philly fan. Had, his whole bedroom was decorated Philly stuff. He loved Philly. His one, his brother named his son Roland. Really? <laughs> so, and here he is. He makes the great catch in the outfield to, you know, to, in game five. So that was like one of the cool things, I thought. <laughs> That fact that, you know, he's like, oh, I can't believe that I denied my Phillies. Of the 11-year-old uh, McCormick, would, Dave McCormick, you know, would have, uh, would have been upset that I would have done what I did. <laughs> it's 731 Ira on Sports, True Oldies channel. Don't forget, you can follow Ira on social media at Ira on Sports. Let's hop over to the NCAA. And we're getting down to the, there's not that many weeks left of college football, Ira. You think you may have a view of what the playoffs going to look like. Yes. Yeah, so we do it now. It's First, up to you. Let's run through the games first. Let's run through the games. And I'm telling you, I think I know what's going to happen. I, I really see the crystal ball in terms of where, when we have those final, you know, they, they're playing again on New Year's Eve, which is ridiculous. But the two playoff games in the Fiesta Bowl and the Peach Bowl in Atlanta and Phoenix are going to be the two semifinals. And I'm going to tell you who, the, who in those. I, I almost, I'm not saying for certain, but I'm going to bet it. I really think it's going to happen. That. <laughs> so let's talk about it. You were in Athens. You'd been there once before, but not in a long time. So you're there for Georgia, Tennessee, one versus two. You must have been excited for this game. Tell us about, you know, getting there and getting situated. Well, just driving down from Philadelphia, it took me about 12 hours to drive down to, to and I stayed in outside in like Spartanburg. And then, then because I want, you can't, of course, stay in a town like Athens, the hotel rooms are like impossible to have. So I stayed like two hours outside, but then drove in early. The game was at 3.30, but it was cool to get there. It was easy to park, you know, just find a place and just walk around. But I wanted to go downtown. So I parked near downtown, but the stadium is right next to, it's like, it's a, like less than a mile away from downtown. So you go downtown, everyone's decked in dogs. Like, and there are a lot Tennessee fans too at the game. I mean, these, you know, so there was tons of that. I can't believe how big Athens is. I mean, it is in terms of just a, a college sports town. Like it's not, it's not big. Like there's any business or whatever. It's just like bar after bar, restaurant after restaurant, and it was packed full of people. I've been to Penn State and Ohio State and Ann Arbor, and those towns are great. No, I don't think anything. No, I liked Auburn. But Auburn only had like a couple streets. It seemed like there were like four major streets. I can't believe how many bars they have. And those Georgia fans were out. They walk around. Then you walk through the campus to the stadium, and it's a little different. It wasn't Auburn's was so like majestic when you're walking through. It's flatter. I mean, this was more hilly, and it was like different. But and there wasn't the tailgating that I saw in Auburn. But I liked it. But was not Auburn like in terms of going through. Not like Alabama either. Um, and when you get to the stadium, the Stanford Stadium is not. It's old, but so are all these other stadiums. But they don't have like the skyboxes like. At Penn State, these other stadiums are they have okay, we're gonna have this old stadium and we're just gonna throw in some skyboxes yeah, here and do this. But they don't, it's really not like that. It's like it's a ninety-two thousand seat old like high school football stadium that has not ninety-two thousand seat stadium. And like one scoreboard on one side, mm -hmm. like the big screen isn't that super big. Um, and then they had this thing called the dog walk. Everyone said, Go to the dog walk. So I would go and that's when the players walk in, and that was neat. The whole band lines up, they go through this whole entry, and it was I love how they do it because you could see it from over the they go over a bridge, like you can be at a bridge where they walk under, so you can actually see it. You go to Ohio State, they have it, but you can't get the vantage point of being up higher and watch, watch the band and the players and everything walk in the stadium, which is really cool. I got in there super duper early, like two hours before the stadium. So I got, you know, uh, uh, Hendon Hooker, who's the star quarterback for Tennessee. I saw him warming up and it was cool to watch him. It was, the weather was beautiful. He's throwing from the 50 yard line, like 
effortlessly to the end zone. Then he goes back to the, uh, his own 40 and throws 60 yards. I'm like, wow. I mean, here's this Heisman Trophy front winner. I'm taking pictures left and right. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. And I'm like so pumped because Tennessee's, you know, this is their number one in the country. This is exciting. Their offense is explosive. And uh, I just, you know, so I was like cool to be in that stadium. And, you know, the bands come in. Everything about culture bowl is different than pro football. Pro football, it just starts or whatever. But everything, there's band. They had a flyover. They bring the ball in for the parachuters. The parachute people parachute. Oh, that was the, that, hold on, that was another game. It was the Tampa game. But I mean, there was flyovers and all this other aspect in the games that was so cool to be there for it. Let's talk about the game itself because this one got, you know, the action started up pretty quickly here. Yeah, I mean, it was Georgia fumbled. I mean, it was, uh, remember, Tennessee going to the game is number one. They had they run 36 plays of 30 yards or more. And you saw how they beat Alabama, where it's just Hooker just throws to Wyatt and Cedric Tillman, their other great wide receiver, and just like throws these bombs. And Alabama couldn't cover them. And that, the question was, what was going to happen this game? Georgia fumbled early on the 50-yard line. And the key to this game was that Georgia fans are known to be wine and cheese. They're known to be quiet. The students are known to Dodger fans. They come late, leave early. You know, they're all dressed up and everything like that. They were loud. Like, I could not believe how loud these fans were. They were just like the Phillies fans. They were screaming the entire time. And this really rattled Tennessee. They had a false start, then another false start. And they were third down and 10 on the Georgia 25 and just got a five-yard pass. So suddenly, every time you think like Tennessee was going, it's just like they kept making illegal procedure penalties. It was 3 nothing, And then Georgia had, then Stetson Bennett is... The most, I mean, he wins the national championship for Georgia last year. They're this great Georgia team. I mean, he is amazing. Won the game. I was there for it. He comes back and like, I don't know if we like him. I don't yeah. think he's good enough. I mean, whatever. He comes and throws a 52-yard pass. Then he had a, they had a run. Then he ran a 13-yard run, made it 7-3. And then Tennessee gets the ball first and 10 on the on their 37. They have another false start, first and 15. Then they threw another incompletion pass. And what you got to start to see was happening on Tennessee on offense is that Georgia just was pounding them. They the Tennessee line could not stop Georgia and they hit Hooker. Like whenever, like they tackle, the one thing difference in Georgia that I see other teams is they tackle hard, they hit hard, they play at just of this pace and it was just, it was, and I think Hyatt is just like, I just want to run. Like I saw him run down on a pass and you just see that he just like, he got nervous. He didn't want to get hit. None of these wide receivers want to get hit. Like Georgia, when they tackle, they tackle hard. I mean, that was what's that was so cool about that game. And then Tennessee, so Tennessee, so it was it was still three. Um, it was still the seven three. And uh, Georgia had when Georgia went this the key turning point in the game was the first half was Georgia had a three and out and their punter punted at seventy five yards down Brett Thorson down to the one yard line. So now it's back in the student section on the one. The fans are going crazy and all Hooker does is fumble the ball. They finally get like on the inch delay. There was a delay of like ten minutes to say. Did he fumble? Is it a touchdown? Who it was? They just kept going through. Finally, they punted it out. Next thing, what happens? Georgia gets to like the 37. They score a touchdown. Bennett to McConkey, the Giants' uh, son who caught, caught that ball. 37 yards touchdown, 14-3. Tennessee punted. Georgia comes back. And uh, Bennett to McIntosh for 49 yards to the 14. And they then ran it in 21, th- threw it in 21-3 at the end of one. So now they're dominating 21-3. And then, you know, it's like the referees, it felt like, we're trying to give the ball to Tennessee. Like at point they had like third and five at Tennessee 30. They called a holding on Georgia. Then they called another holding on Georgia. So you're like, okay, now they're a chance. But then they just kept calling the false starts. Like these aren't just like bad calls, false starts. Tennessee just was unnerved by the noise. The crowd noise was just getting to them. They had, I think, eight false starts in the game. And uh, so they kicked the field goal, made it, it was 21-6. And then t- 
Tennessee drove down, and on it was then from the 39, Hooker threw it to Tillman in the end zone. And Kaylee Ringo, who was going to be a first-round pick, he was the best cornerback that Georgia has, he intercepted Hooker on that pass. It was like one of his third interception on the year. But it was such a great interception. It was like, okay, you want to go deep? You want to challenge us? Like, Alabama, you're not going to burn us. And he caught the end zone. I think after that, it was like, all the win in Tennessee sales yeah, were done. done. Yeah, Georgia goes down after that interception. And they said, okay, we're going to have a 12-play, 78-yard drive, take five minutes, and they kick a field goal and make it 24-6. They just said, we're just going to hold the ball. We can do whatever we want. We can run the ball. We're going to just you know, take it easy. We're going to have a good old time doing this. Halftime comes back, and the Tennessee starts it. And then they had two sacks. I mean, they every time Tennessee had the ball, was like there was fourth and 19, and then they, they, they have to whatever. And then there was they exchanged fumbles. But then the key drive, Tennessee in the fourth quarter had a 14-play, 43-yard drive. That's crazy. Six minutes. Like, they're trying to catch up. It's because they kept getting penalties on on Georgia, but they kept getting sacked. And the point is, like, you know, third and 30, one of those weird things. And uh, so it was like, you know, it was it was that, to me, that was the end of the game. It was 27-6. Game was over. And it was just, you know, again, it started to rain. Uh, the, everything went around. It was raining. Georgia didn't get bothered by the rain. Tennessee did get bothered. They couldn't pass the ball. But I was waiting for the explosive offense. They just couldn't get it going. And I I said, I think Hooker was afraid to stand in there and get hit, and I think he just was just he just bailed too much. And I think Wyatt, Hyatt, and Tillman were afraid to get hit, and they they weren't really running super fast. And the defense, Georgia played great defense, and Hooker was you know through no touchdowns. First time he had to throw a touchdown in like two years. Um, and the longest uh, play that Tillman had was 17 yards. Longest was for Hyatt was 28 yards. And Tennessee was two for 14 on third downs, and were outgained 400 to 300 yards. Huge win for Georgia. Clearly the number one team in the country. Clearly the number one after a devastating win like that. 740 Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. Mike Balsamo here as well. Alabama and LSU. I, I don't think Alabama fans are planning on having two losses this season at all. And here they are now sitting at 7-2 and two after losing on a, a gutsy call uh, by LSU at the end. Brian Kelly lost to Saban twice when he was the co- coach at Notre Dame. Then he leaves Notre Dame. Everyone says, terrible. He, has a, he somehow gets a southern accent. Yeah. But the reason he went down there, I was remember one at the Georgia game, and you're standing on the sidelines. They had the recruits come in. And in the end zone, they had these seats. They're just black, like luxury seats in the end zone. And when you're looking at the seats, you're like, that's only for the recruits and their families. And you looked at the sideline of the Georgia game, and you saw these recruits. are like, you could probably take those recruits on those. Like these aren't the two and three stars. These are the five stars. These are the best players in America. Mm-hmm. You probably could take them, and they could be anyone else, anywhere. Like I bet you, like ninety percent of the teams, right then and there in the game. And you know the one thing about Georgia is they don't, um, they don't take transfers in. They haven't. This whole team, it's all homegrown in terms of what they have. But uh, but certainly Brian Kelly's saying at Notre Dame, I can't recruit those type of players. I can't get them in Notre Dame. They don't want to go to Notre Dame. So he goes to LSU. And he signs a 10-year, $100 million contract. And boy, their defense played great. They stopped Alabama. Uh, Bill O'Brien is going to get criticized. Like, if you listen to Alabama radio, I went on a little bit. I mean, they they want Bill O'Brien gone today. They want him resigned. Frank Reich, Bill O'Brien, they can all leave. They're finished. (laughs) We don't want you there anymore. That type of thing. But, you know, Alabama did drive down. Bryce Young had two drives at the end of the game. Uh, He threw Ja'Curry books, make it 21-17. Didn't get the two-point conversion. But then that LSU drive. So, look, Alabama took the lead, but they let LSU with Jalen Daniels just go right down the field, make it 24-21. And then with 147, Brayshaw gets the ball back. He can, they get a field goal, but they couldn't score the touchdown. Takes it into you know overtime. 
Alabama scores, makes it, you know, say scores the first touchdown overtime. But then on the first play, LSU just scores a touchdown. And I, I, you know, and then Brian Kelly's like, look, we just scored on one play. Alabama looks like they're they're on their heels. Let's go for two. And I remember that Les Miles did that years ago against Alabama. And I can't remember the year. And it didn't work. Les Miles got, you know, Mad Hatter, gets criticized. But it works. We don't, when you are gutsy and go for two on that, you're a genius. It works. Remember Tom Osborne Mm -hmm. against uh, Miami when they went for two? They didn't get it and then remembered it. But he went for two. And I think when you have two losses when they were playing for, I think that was a smart move. They get the two-point conversion. They win the game. Just like the Giants. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and they're genius when you do that. But now Alabama is out of the playoff picture. Um, Clemson and Notre Dame. What happened with this one? It's just really that Clemson was terrible. I mean, they were, they was, it was, uh, it was just an absolute just destruction. I just kept seeing it was what score was just, it was, thir- it was the end of the score was 35 14. Clemson couldn't do anything. DJ Ongolai, uh, the quarterback that uh, Dabo Sweeney put all the faith in, loves him, it just would not take him out of the game and put Katie Klubnik in the game. But it was just wow. I mean, this is, I remember years ago in the, during the pandemic, Notre Dame beat Clemson 47 40 when Trevor Lawrence had COVID, ending their, their run of that year. And uh, you couldn't play in that game, but that this game was just completely different. And I guess you know Clemson is just not this. It's their first loss of their season, but just a bad loss. And and we'll talk about the playoff picture then. But just getting destroyed by Notre Dame there. And if we come back because you know Notre Dame started the year so poorly, and now they you know they're playing much much better. Yeah. Speaking of a bad loss, I think it's just a bad season overall for University of Miami. Um, absolute disaster. They lose forty. Five to three to Florida State. Um, there was there was thirty one three at halftime. Four hundred fifty six yards to one eighty eight. Tyler Van Dyke got hurt. It's their Miami's fourth straight loss at home. It's longest since nineteen seventy three. They have not scored. They didn't score in like nine consecutive quarters. Uh, a touchdown. And then uh, it's the worst loss since two thousand and fifteen. And after the game, Al Golden was fired <laughs> when they lost to Clemson. But uh, this is just a disaster for what's happening. And you, Mario Cristobal he leaves Oregon. And Oregon's playing much better than the game that he was coaching them. <laughs> He goes to Miami, and they're worse. This is as bad as it could be. And to lose to Florida State at home, and while these other games are going on, you just don't know how much further Miami can sink and how they're going to build up from that. Another nice win for TCU over Texas Tech. If they were down 34-17, middle of the third. Now this is their fourth time they've trailed. They come back and and, and won in the game, and so they stay at nine and you know, one of the only uh, one of the only undefeated teams left. What happened in the rest of the SEC? Uh, Florida win over Texas A&M, but everybody's being Texas A&M, and they really had no players. I thought the score that I thought was Liberty beat Arkansas. Remember Hugh Freeze coached at Arkansas. There was a whole mess. They fired him, this this and that. It was all of this. So I can't believe Liberty plays Arkansas. Then Liberty, he leads Liberty. Now we saw Malik Willis last night for Tennessee. Mm-hmm. The quarterback, Liberty, beats Arkansas 21-19. I think Hugh Freeze is on this feed dial of Auburn. Of anybody who's looking for a coach, is going to be Hugh Freeze because his clearly, name is popping up everywhere. everywhere. I mean, you put him at the Indianapolis Colts. I don't know for that for that, that perspective. Um, what about the ACC? Um, UNC won thirty one over over Virginia. Uh, the key thing is that Derek May is looking like now he has to come back for another year. But in two years, their quarterback Derek May could be the number one player taken in the NFL draft. Teams are going to be looking for them. And Pitt beat Syracuse ninety nine. Remember, Syracuse was undefeated. Everyone's all happy. You know, everybody knows someone's a Syracuse fan. They're they're out of it. So that they were out of it. What about in the uh, uh, Big Twelve? Well, but, you know, the Big Twelve has every team is almost equal. Baylor beats Oklahoma thirty eight thirty five. Oklahoma State, who everyone was undefeated, it seemed like a couple weeks ago. Now they've lost three in a row. They lost thirty seven sixteen to Kansas, who's six and three, and Texas beat Kansas State. They're six. And, so everybody seems to be like they're six and three. Very, it's a conference that is the parity is unbelievable from everybody in the Big Twelve. And in the Pac twelve, uh, Pac twelve, like you said. Oregon keeps rolling. 
Oregon's eight and one. They beat Colorado. UCLA beat Arizona State, and USC won. So those are we're going to lead into what I'm going to say in terms of what's going to happen with these games. So well, first off, what what are we watching next week? Um, I think the big you know you got some the LSU at Arkansas game is interesting because LSU has to keep, you keep winning, but even though they're an underdog in the game, everyone puts LSU in the, in the SEC championship game, and uh, you know because they control their own destiny, but they're 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 an underdog to Arkansas, which just lost to Liberty, which makes no sense. And uh, Bama plays Ole Miss. Ole Miss has one loss, but Bama is a twelve point favorite on them. Yeah, Ole Miss can win that game. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but that was right. So it's like it's it's I think TCU at Texas. Texas is a seven point favorite in that game. But just about the Big Ten games. Michigan's favored by 30 over Nebraska. Ohio State's favored by 40 over Indiana. So those things. What uh, did you want to go ahead and give your uh, tease for what you think is going to happen here? <laughs> I think that what's going to happen is I think Tennessee and and is good. I, I think you got to understand. Tennessee is going to have one loss. They have to play Missouri. They play South, at South Carolina and at Vanderbilt. They are going to win all three of those games. They're not losing those games. They're going to beat South Carolina. They're much better than Vanderbilt. It's it's that, that it's, <laughs> Tennessee. Tennessee's finishing with one loss. Georgia isn't losing to anyone. Georgia has to play Mississippi State, Kentucky, Georgia Tech, and they'll beat LSU. They're going to be like thirty to forty point favorites, you know, in all those games. They're going to win. So you got so Georgia's and they're just going to win the, the SEC title. Now that Alabama's out of the way, they're going to win. So Georgia's going to win the SEC title, Tennessee's going to have one loss. Then, in the Michigan-Ohio State situation, Michigan plays Nebraska-Illinois, and then they play Ohio State. Ohio State plays Indiana and Maryland, which I talked about, they're 30-40 point favorites, and Michigan. So the loser of that game, it's going to be at Ohio State, is going to have one loss. So Michigan's going to have one, say Michigan loses. Michigan's going to have one loss, Tennessee's going to have one loss, that's it. And then Ohio State is going to you know, be undefeated, win the Big Ten title, and Georgia's going to be undefeated, win the Big Ten title. I think those are the four teams, because the only other statement you're going to make is, well, Clemson. But Clemson has still play Louisville, Miami, South Carolina, and the ACC championship game. Even if they have one loss, is Clemson really going to get in over Tennessee? No. I don't think so after a loss they had. And UNC has one loss, but they have to play Wake, Georgia Tech, NC State. They're probably they're they're an underdog against Wake. They're not going to get in either. So let's see, well TCU's undefeated. Yeah, TCU goes undefeated. But TCU is gonna is their their underdog again this week against Texas. Then they have to play Baylor. They play Iowa State, then the Big 12 Championships game. They're probably gonna lose two to three games. They're gonna be out of the picture. And then the, the only question is in the in the Pac-12, Oregon. Well, they have Washington, Utah, and Oregon State. I Utah think Utah could beat them. But I think Utah Oregon's gonna lose another game. They're gonna have two losses. They're not gonna take a two-loss Oregon team. And then UCLA has one loss right now, but they still have to play USC, and USC still have to play California UCLA and Notre Dame. I think between Oregon, UCLA, and USC, they're all gonna have at least two losses. So everyone's gonna be sitting out there with two losses. You're gonna have Michigan with one loss, Tennessee with one loss, but they haven't won their quote conference championship. But they'll be the team they lost to would be on the road against the one and two teams. And I think they're gonna put all four in. So you're gonna see like a Georgia play uh, uh, Michigan. In the, in the rematch of the semifinals last year, and you're going to have Tennessee play Ohio State. I, that's my prediction. That's where I see, see this happening. And you're going to throw a little cash on yes, it. Yes, I will throw cash. I will throw cash. Uh, it's 749 Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Ira on Sports has partnered up with Edge Sports. It's performance apparel that gives you the edge to win the game. Patented wristbands, playmakers, arm sleeves, sleeves, and T-shirts. Uh, shop right now. They're a bestseller on Amazon Prime. You can follow them on Instagram at we, uh, Wear the Edge. NFL action, man. You, you should just like get an apartment or something in Tampa. I feel like you're there every, every week. I love going to the games there. I love it. It's a great stadium to go. That's where they had the where they come in from the parachutists come in and parachute and bring the ball in. I thought that was really cool. I got a great video of that. Um, I love being at that stadium. It's the easiest stadium to get to. It's it's easy to get in, easy to get out. 
easy to park. You park right next to the stadium. You know, it's like, isn't it great to put a stadium somewhere where you can just park around it? Like, I, just, it's just a brilliant idea. Mm-hmm. But I love going to the games there. And, you know, Brady's plays there. But what a, what, and I was excited about this game. Everyone's like, why are you going to these? Both teams are loser teams. I'm like, wait a second. They're, the two teams that won the Super Bowl the last two, two years. Super and you have Tom Brady and two Super Bowl MVPs. You have all this. You have Sean, I mean, when did Sean McVay, like, isn't he the smartest coach in football? Like, I'm so confused. You have Aaron Donald. You have Jalen Ramsey. You have like, of, the, of the Rams. I mean, I didn't, I, I'm like confused why you wouldn't be at the game. It was the only game on television at 4.30 besides the Seattle game. That's why they, they made it the game. Mm-hmm. So I, I wanted to go to that game. So let's talk about it because it was a little bit of a sluggish to start. It was sluggish the entire game. I mean, it was it was absolutely the craziest uh, crazy game. There, each team had like 14 drives. You never hear about that. No turnovers. Um, third down conversion. How about the Bucks? Uh, the uh, the uh, Rams were four for 15. The Bucks were nine for 21. I mean. But the rushing, both teams can't run the ball. The Rams ran for 68 yards. Tampa ran for 51 yards. Uh, it was 7-6 uh, uh, at the end of the half. Uh, the, the only play the Rams did was a cup, had a 69-yard touchdown pass. And you're watching them wide open. You're like, wait a second. I was there last year at the end of the first of the, of the, of the regular, you know, of the, before there was never an overtime. And they threw it to Cup because you thought that was going to be the, you know, the Bucks had come back in the game, tied the game up, and the Rams threw that long pass to Cup. And here again, they allow a touchdown to Cup. I don't know how he got open for that. It was just ridiculous. So it was 7-6. The Rams, this is how pathetic the Rams were. They had 104 yards in the first half. They had 69 on one play. They ran 27 plays. That means they ran 26 plays and gained 35 yards on 26 plays. It's like it's one point something yard to play. Um, the Rams in the second half had a field goal, made it 10-6, made it 13-6. The Bucks were doing, of course, nothing there. Then the Bucks went on this 12-play, 53-yard drive. You know, they got first a goal with a seven. And Godwin, they ran for the ball one yard, and then Brady throws it to Scotty Miller in the end zone, right there, right in the end zone. Perfect touchdown to take the lead, and he drops the ball. Great. Just totally dropped the ball. And then Kate Otten, they threw a pass incomplete, and then they went on fourth down and does it again. And people were saying, well, they should have kicked the field goal. You know, you're down 13-9, kick the field goal, stop uh, the Rams, and then kick a field goal again. But, th- you know, they, they probably thought, let's just go for it right there. We're down there. And then this is where all the controversy, that, the greatest thing is the controversy. Rams get the ball with 152 left on their own seven-yard line. And uh, because, of course, that's where, they, you know, the, where the ball was. And then they go, they run the ball. Henderson gets no game on a run, which is they can't run the ball wholly. Then Cup, Cooper Cup ran to the right side and then he slid. He could have maybe got the first down, but he decides to slide, which only gave him a five-yard game, which may, he could have been close to that first down, but he wants to stay in bounds. So it was a smart move to stay in bounds because Tampa had two timeouts. But because he slid there, it was on third and five. Tampa calls a timeout with 139 left. And then he goes, and then that third and five play, it's like, why don't you just go for the first down? They don't go for the first down, and they, they just run the ball off the middle again. Henderson gets no yards, and that left them with 54 seconds. They let the clock expire. They punt. They like had a 10-second punt. Like Tampa, usually you call a fair catch on that. And Tampa gets the ball on their 40-yard line. But it's like they're saying we're not afraid. Like they didn't go for the first down. We saw the week before Baltimore got that first down. Remember, Baltimore was the same situation as Tampa. They went and got the first down, and then Tampa never got the ball back. So that's the key. And so they were like, we don't care about Tom Brady. Like, this is Tom Brady. And fans were leaving. Like, I was, I'm sitting That's there crazy. on the 50. I'm like, I'm like ready to stop the entrances. Like, what are you guys? Like, I want to go up to people, scream at them. Like, why are you leaving? This is Tom Brady. This is Tom Brady. Like, don't leave. Don't leave. 40 seconds left. And that drive, first of all, he throws it to Kate Auden uh, for 28 yards. I mean, it looked like Rob Gronkowski out there right in the middle. And I love Kate Auden's stories. His, his mother passed away during the year. He took time off in the season. He missed two games. Comes back because Cameron Brake is injured. And it's just, just a great story. 
story. And they actually, when it was Utah, he caught a touch. They said, this is the first uh, game-winning uh, pass you ever had. He goes, I did it in college twice. So I thought that was interesting. But they go up first, and then he spikes it. And then Brady threw it to Fournette four, to four yards out of bounds. Brady to Scotty Miller for 14 yards. And remember, some quarterbacks like Aaron Rodgers might say, Scotty Miller, you dropped a touchdown ball. You're the worst. But then he goes back to him. You could see him on the sideline, like putting his arm around him, like, you know, we're going to get this. We're going to get this. And then first and 10 on the 14 with 19 seconds left. He threw it to Miller again for seven. And then there was a pass in completion. And then on first and goal at the, uh, at the seven, and with nine seconds to go at the one yard line, at the one yard line. And it's like the Rams thought they were going to run. But they were never going to run because then they would have no time to spike or whatever. So they were clearly going to pass. I don't know what defense they were in, but Kate Odd and I watched this play a number of times. He faked like he was going to run. Like it's a, it's a deal with Gronkowski. Gronkowski was a great tight end because he acted like he was going to run to be a blocker. And then he went out and it was a perfect pass. Touchdown. Brady wins. It's just, I mean, it's, it's what is fifth. It was his 54th, fourth quarter comeback, set all records. He also had his 100th, 100,000 yards passing mm-hmm. of regular season and, and, and uh, regular season and postseason in the game, you know, of course, the most of all time. But what a great win. I mean, that was just so awesome. And all those fans that left were crazy. So you can't give up on Tom Brady. <laughs> but I think it, it's not just they won the game. It's the shot in the arm. Now they're in the first place in the division. They're four and five, but they're, in the, they're tied for first. I just think it's how they won. And now they're back to forget about Brady and divorcing and this and that. It's now they have the belief. Like Brady, now I think this gives the shot in the arm to the team. Like that is what Tampa needed. And I think that was phenomenal. Like I think this win is going to propel them. And as you said, I, we've talked about this before. These other teams, who knows? The Eagles, the Giants, like what, Minnesota. Are you confident that Kirk Cousins? Are you confident about Jalen Hurts? Daniel Jones, like these guys are not against Brady, you know? You have to assume, yeah, that right. Brady can get it done. Um, Miami gets a win over Chicago. Didn't cover the spread. This game is probably tighter than Miami wanted. But the story of the game to me, Ira, is Justin Fields. You know, this over under on rushing yards for this game is 49. That's what it was projected. <laughs> they're saying, like, they're going to start putting him at 80 yards to bet the over under. Great game to, to watch. A lot of offense. Miami gets the win. Yeah, 170 yards rushing for fields and a touchdown. I think what's exciting about that was the weather was nice, but it was still a little windy. But, you know, everyone keeps saying, well, Tua can't throw in the wind. But you're starting to see this uh, offense with Jeff Wilson got involved. Nine rushes, 51. You know, you have Wilson and Mostart, the two running backs that were in San Francisco. Yeah. And you have, I mean, I just think Miami's only going to get better. And when you think after Tua got injured, like this would happen. It's like when you see Waddle and Hill out there and their ability. And this is what I can't stand about people criticizing Miami about it with bad weather. Hill and Waddle don't need to run the ball. Like they're not like Tennessee. That Hyatt and Tillman have to run down the field to catch these balls. You can throw five yards out and they're the fastest guys. Like the acceleration of Waddle and Hill from catching the ball to super fast is like great. They don't need to do that. That's why I don't think, why does everyone think that Miami can't play in the cold weather? They have Mostart, they have uh, Wilson now, good uh, running game they can prove. I'm concerned about, you know, I'm concerned about Miami's defense. Like, I, they look terrible on defensively. But, you know, I just don't. I, this whole idea that they can't play in the cold weather is crazy. So, Tennessee and Kansas City. This game ended up being more exciting than it needed This to messed be. me all up. Because <laughs> I was going to drive home after the game. And then I, like, I had sent pictures out of the game. And I'm talking. I'm looking at that. I'm like, you know what? I, I can't believe Tennessee's winning this game. It's the crazy. Like, how in the world? I mean, t- Kansas was up 9 nothing. Kennedy goes up 17-9. And then I just keep, you know, I'm like, I better go. So, I re- went to a restaurant was watching it, and then I'm like, what's going to happen? This is crazy. And then Patrick Mahomes, you know, I'm glad I did, because that was, 
It's third and 17. You think it's like all of, you know, again, you cannot write off these superstars. Third and 17, and he's running around like a high school game. Like, this, like that's a play that you see in high school. Like, you see a high school player in like a, the screen, and it's blurry, and it's black and white on this, and you're whatever, and you're like, what? He's doing this against NFL football players, and he just runs around for 20 yards. That was out of a movie. And then he does it, then he runs it in for a touchdown, and then he runs for the two point conversion, and it's like Patrick Mahomes. Like, it's he's just, a superhero. He, he, yeah, he's not, he's running, he's throwing. What else do you want him to do like is he playing on defense too like what else can Patrick Mahomes do to win this game just an amazing it just shows you why I think Kansas City is going to you know represent the AFC in the Super Bowl I just I mean gosh I mean would it be another Mahomes Brady Super Bowl would that be great to see (laughs) but I just think that that was just what a performance I mean when you're a magician like that to see it at end and and I can't believe Tennessee was a game I mean Malik Willis is terrible he was he was 5 for 16 for 80 yards Mahomes threw the ball 68 times for 440 46 yards and a touchdown and one interception. Just a crazy game. I mean, Kansas City, again, these teams can't run the ball at all. They're struggling left and right, all these top teams. But, you know, when you have Mahomes, that's all that counts. Malik Willis did not complete a a pass to a wide receiver. (laughs) Never a good stat. Oh, man, does it just get worse week after week for Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay? Well, I mean, again, that you wonder, it's like, how low can it get? You know, like where we're talking, like, I think Green Bay is like the Miami Hurricanes to some extent. It's like, it's like where, you know, they're playing Detroit that just fired everybody. They can't play defense and they score nine points. They would score a touchdown against like the worst defensive team you could ever imagine. Yeah, that was missing week. everyone. Like Detroit put people off their practice squads. Their whole defense was a brand, and they can't even score. And then Green Bay makes excuses. We have injuries. We have this. But then you see Tampa thrown to Scotty. Like everyone else has this. Like I'm tired of this whole Devontae Adams, this and that. It's like, come on. Like everyone is playing with injured players. If you play fantasy, you're seeing all these injured players left. Lamar Jackson tonight, who's he going to have? He's losing his no wide Like, they're the only ones who make excuses. I mean, this is ridiculous, but they're three and six now. Terrible loss to Detroit. So, Buffalo and the Jets. So, every year I bet the Jets under wins. Uh, it was five and a half this year. I really didn't think they would have passed that half before. <laughs> the season was halfway over. Good win for them, though, over, over Josh Allen and Buffalo. Yeah, Allen had a bad game. Two interceptions, five sacks. Uh, just one of those crazy games where Jet fans were texting me at the game. Like, I was at the Bucks game, so I wasn't watching it, but I started, you know, you got a sense when you're following it and you're watching it on the big screens, which they do a great job on there, uh, where they put the red zone up there before the game. But, you know, Look, they got the the Bills got the ball back with a chance to win the game and couldn't do it. I mean, Allen yeah. couldn't make these comebacks. Um, you know, where's their running game again? These teams have got to get these running games. And again, Miami, I like what McDaniel's doing. Like, I think he's going to get this running game going. Like, I'm high on McDaniel. Like, I I think that he's a really good coach. And I think if you can pass like Tua and you can run the ball, and you see what San Francisco did last year when they beat Green Bay, they ran the ball. Debo Samuel, they ran the ball with with Wilson. I I, I so I Buffalo's running game, but I still think it's going to be Buffalo Kansas City. This is just a weird game. Buffalo's going to win the division. It's going to be Buffalo Kansas City. I think Miami has a shot to go to the AFC Championship game. I, I think they have a shot. Definitely, yeah. I definitely have a shot. Um, Kirk Cousins gets revenge against his former team. <laughs> it was so funny I think on the plane back and he's like shirtless and he's yeah. partying and stuff like that but you know, Minnesota has one loss I, I said they were going to be good you know we, we had Dr. Roto on and he said they had a prehistoric offense last year with Mike Zimmer yeah. and now you put Justin Jefferson and Thielen you know uh, it just Acquired every, TJ Hawkinson yeah they, they made a trade for TJ Hawkinson a huge trade that worked out great we didn't really talk about the trades much today maybe we could do that next week but uh, um, but that was a that was a great trade for them to bring him in the Seattle Seahawks are for real Ira I predicted this again I just don't understand why people <laughs> Are sleeping, you know. I think Pete Carroll. The interesting about Pete Carroll was that he was great at USC when it was raw, raw, raw. He was great when he went.
went to Seattle when it was like Legion of Doom. But when it's, he's probably, he's this old coach that needs to coach young players. Like when he has this young team, like his team is just loaded with rookies. Like there's rookies everywhere on this they team. They draft too. And they, they draft well. And, and I think he's the type of coach that likes that rah-rah. And then you have Geno Smith who's somehow figured out how to play. And uh, Ken, Kenneth Walker who is, you know, again, I picked him on fantasy, is a great running back. It's all working out. And Seattle is for real. Like everyone keeps doubting them. And it's like, if you had been betting on Seattle the last few weeks, you're winning a lot of money because people keep doubting Seattle, but they are for real and they play great. Frank Reich out in New, in India, uh, Indianapolis. This has to be. So New England beats Indianapolis 26-3. I, how many people had Indianapolis going to the Super Bowl this year? A lot. A lot of people. A lot of people had them and they're they're horrendous. But how about who they replaced Frank Reich with? Jeff Sat. I watched <laughs> Get Up on ESPN. He's a commentator on ESPN, he's coached high school football years ago. I don't know if he's a head coach. He's coached nowhere in college, nowhere whatever. He's the interim coach. He's fun from get up talking. On, this is insane. Like this They're is the, clearly not trying to win games. That is the <laughs> craziest hire. Now, I know he was your center years ago, but it's like, I mean, I don't know. Could, who could we, who are the Dolphins hire? I mean, should they hire like Dan Marino just become a coach? Like now, like, <laughs> like this is insane. Like when I, when I, I thought it was a joke. I thought it literally is one of those joke accounts that you have on your phone. Yeah, like and fake I, Twitters. But yeah, fake whatever. It's like Jeff Saturday hired. I'm like, I just saw Jeff Saturday on the TV two days two days ago. He's talking to Mike Greenberg, Rex Ryan, you know Ryan Clark. He's on Get Up. He's a, he's a television guy to go in the middle. It's one thing if he was hired and like Herman, but like Herman was hired, but he was a coach before. Like Jeff Saturday's never coached before. He's being hired. Like what's he gonna do? Like he probably thought they were joking when when they called. I just don't get it. I think this has to be the craziest hire, and I don't think it's sad. Like I'm waiting for people to. I mean, maybe they don't care about the Colts, but I haven't heard people like go up in an uproar over the. I mean, they're mad. Stephen A. did not like Steve Nash hired to coach. The Nets, but at least Steve Nash was like, you know, involved in the league. And this, I, this is the craziest hire I've ever seen. So we only have like a minute or two here left. What happened in the rest of the NFL? Because I know if you had Joe Mixon on your fantasy team, you were happy. Yeah, like the all time records. Cincinnati is this crazy team. They either play terrible or play great. Uh, and they, they they beat Carolina 42 21. I think we, you know, finally Jacksonville got a win 27 20 over Las Vegas. Wow. I mean, what is going on with Josh McDaniels? I mean, that's the funny thing about McDaniels, people just have to realize is that when Frank Reich got the job at the Colts. Uh, he he got it because McDaniel's had the job for uh, two days and decided walked he didn't, walked away, didn't want it, went but went back to New England to be the offensive coordinator in New England. And uh, but so it's just like what Las Vegas just cannot get it going. And then tonight we have Ravens at Saints. The line is crazy. Baltimore's favored by a point and a half at, at New Orleans. But Andy Dalton, the quarterback for the Saints, is six and nineteen in prime time. Uh, I'm I, I I think Ravens win this game. I really do. I, I know it's going to be loud. I know this. I've been in that place. It's the loudest stadium. But the Ravens. I think they're going to, they, they look great. I'm like, taking the Ravens for yeah, sure. They look good against the Bucks and they ran the ball that second half when they, when they decide they're going to run, like they're the only team in the NFL that can run the ball. Like they're the only team that I think can really run the, like they're going to be great. Like I think they're going to win this game. I, I, yeah, I, like I think those. this is an easy cover tonight. I'm taking Baltimore. What are we watching next week? Uh, Cleveland's at Miami. Everyone's going to be excited now that Miami comes back and they're going to be excited for that. And the big game at four o'clock, how about Seattle at Tampa in Germany? You asked me First about that. Game Tampa ever game. Germany. You're like, well, you're going to go to the Tampa game next week. I go, I'm going to Frankfurt. So the first team in Germany and Minnesota at Buffalo. Now that's interesting because, you know, if Minnesota goes into Buffalo and beats Buffalo, then we're going to say Minnesota's for real. Then Buffalo's then going to fall behind Kansas City. So Kansas City's going to have, even though they have a loss to Buffalo, would control that their destiny. So, But the big game, how about Dallas at Green Bay? Mike McCarthy.
Timothy comes back to Green Bay where he was like, you know, forced out, you know, at Green Bay and comes back against Aaron Rodgers. And this is going to be like they have put, I think that whatever network, this is a Fox game. They have put this. There's no other games against it. This is it. Dallas at mm-hmm. Green Bay. They're advertising it left and right. So it's, people want to see Aaron Rodgers fail. And then on Sunday night is the Chargers at the 49ers, which will be, I think, a very interesting game. So for that, let's talk a little NASCAR. Uh, Joey Logano wins his second title in the Phoenix race. Not only win, win the race, you know, there are four drivers that were in it, but he also won the race. So congratulations to, to Joey Logano. And Jimmy Johnson is going to come back to NASCAR. He bought into the into the Richard Petty team, so he's going to come with Petty Racing. So he said, I didn't really retire, so he's won, you know, he's won seven titles. So when you put uh, Petty's seven titles, his seven titles, you have a lot of titles together, but it's going to be back. But congratulations to Joey Logano for, I mean, again, I don't know why NASCAR can't end their season earlier so we can watch the races. Don't put it up against the NFL on Sunday. Breeders' Cup is in the books, and horse racing, it's a dying sport, Ira, because Flightline's going to retire. He's 6-0. and He's won the six races by 75 lengths. This is could be the next secretariat, and we're never going to get to see him run again. Because he retired. Retired to go to stud. And that's what they do now. You know, As soon as you're good, or, what was it, six years ago, I'll have another. We had a triple crown shot and retired before running in the Belmont. I mean, they're just about, get my stud fee as high as possible and retire. Nobody cares about winning anymore. See, Tom Brady doesn't want to retire. He just keeps playing. Everyone says, you should retire. Even after this win, I was listening to a radio show. Someone said, I think Brady, Brady should retire. He's done. I'm like, he just led one of the greatest comebacks, and you're saying you should retire? Like, whatever. But uh, no, you were excited. I know you won this huge bet. Tell me about that bet. Well, a friend of mine had the idea. You know, he was a massive, he was a two to five. So you're getting paid 20 cents on the dollar. So my buddy's like, why don't we parlay this with Georgia? So Georgia, even money, without giving the eight points, plus flight line to win, uh, to win your money back. So... I thought it was a great bet. I cashed a nice little ticket this weekend. Congratulations. That's <laughs> awesome. So you've been going crazy. What's your plan for this week? I don't know. I, I can't decide where to go. Either go Penn State, Maryland, and and, and the Steelers, the Saints, but it's going to be like cold, and now I'm not used to the cold. Or do I want to go to Mississippi or Gainesville? So I can see Alabama at Mississippi or Florida at, uh, you know, I can see the Gainesville. I see uh, the Florida game uh, at, at Gainesville, which I've never been to Gainesville game, and then also see maybe see Cleveland at Miami. So that might just stay here in Florida for that. We are out of time. Thanks so much to Adam Sherman for popping by. He's Ira Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. Ira on sports.